0: Buddy, welcome back to the Double Down WNBA Podcast. Eric Nemchak here with Stephen Trinkwald. Stephen, we are rolling right along, as I always say, uh, with our 2023 team outlooks. Uh, today we're going to talk about the LA Sparks.
1: The Sparks, they were 13-23, and 23, Eric. That was good for the 11th best record out of 12 teams in the WNBA. They were also 11th in net rating at negative 9.1 points worse per 100 possessions, than their opponents. They were 10th in offense, 97.6 offensive rating, 11th in defense, 106.7 defensive rating, and they, of course, missed the playoffs. Um, although they were they were in it for a while there. They were hanging around until it all kind of fell apart.
0: Until it fell apart. That's a good way of putting it. It was a bad season for LA, to put it uh, concisely. You know, they acquired... there. There's a lot of hype around the Sparks heading into the season because, you know, they acquired... Uh, Kennedy Carter, they acquired Liz Cambage, two players who are, are, I would say, high risk, high reward, right? And neither of that worked out. You know, Kennedy Carter couldn't really crack the starting lineup over Jordan Canada. Cambage, while her individual numbers were okay, she just had trouble staying on the floor. You know, she was an impactful offensive player, but her defense was very poor. Um, and I think she, her conditioning kind of limited how much she was actually contributing. She was bought out in July. Like, she didn't even make it the entire season there in LA. And then as you would like to note uh, the bottom really fell out after that you know they were in they're in it you know they're kind of straddling that line between you know playoffs and uh, draft lottery although they didn't have a lottery pick because they traded that for Kennedy Carter Derek Fisher was fired as head coach 12 games into the season Fred Williams finished the season as interim head coach but he was not retained heading into this season so they ended up missing the playoffs but they didn't get to reap the rewards of that draft lottery pick so it was kind of a worst of both worlds um, just a disaster for the Sparks, if you ask me.
1: Yeah, I mean, stop me if you've heard this before, but the Sparks traded their lottery pick and then missed the playoffs uh, for the the second consecutive season, as they also traded their lottery pick, or what turned out to be a 2022 lottery pick during the 2021 draft, so they can move up and trade for selecting Jasmine Walker, who is no longer on the team. So. A little bit of kind of uh, misguided direction, perhaps, for the franchise these last few years. You noted that they traded that pick to uh, their 2023 uh, eventual lottery pick to to get Kennedy Carter. But it was also very much uh, a salary dump on Erica Wheeler, who they had signed for a two-year deal the previous season to free up that cap space to go get Liz Cambage. So um, kind of each offseason these last couple of years just spent— you know, trying to make up for the mistakes of the past off season without doing any real foundation building. But as you mentioned, they were firmly, I think, in the playoff race during the uh, brief Liz Cambage era in New York. They were tied for sixth in the standings at 12 and 16. So again, you know, four games under 500. It's not like they were some some world beating team, but they were as in it as anybody else, uh, you know, tied for that sixth spot uh, in a league with five good teams and and everybody else kind of you know fighting for the rest of the spots but even then they were 11th in net rating so they were outperforming to some extent what they were actually doing on the the basketball court once cambage left the team they went one and eight to end the season from there negative 17 net rating in that stretch of nine games only two two of those eight losses were even within single digits they posted a 93.6 offensive rating during that stretch which is a very very low number and i think one thing that jumped out to me during that stretch is and this was kind of emblematic of of the entire season to some extent but really during that that stretch as well they were ninth in field goal percentage in that time but 12th in effective field goal percentage you know not a team that could really get up threes or make them when they when they did shoot them. 25% from three during that stretch. Basically, all of their shooters completely fell off a cliff from a statistical standpoint. And, you know, they just they had no way of generating good offense without Cambage, who, you know, as you mentioned, like she was not the Liz Cambage of past. I think it was easily her worst defensive season since her Dallas years. Um, but even offensively, like her numbers were fine. They weren't what we would expect to see from – a player of that caliber over the last few years, but uh, and I think in a lot of ways it was probably just more trouble than it was worth for for the organization and uh, you know what she really brought to winning basketball. But they were undoubtedly still better with her than without her. When maybe some of that was just kind of having some expectations going into the season and and they just kind of couldn't find an identity after that. But her leaving the the team as much as she was not kind of borderline top 10 player in the league that she had been, you know, maybe a couple of seasons prior to, they, they had no hope without her basically.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's a blunt way to say this would be rather than, you know, committing to a rebuild because they're there's, they were still kind of licking their wounds after both Candace Parker and Chelsea Gray left, right. In free agency, Um, rather than committing to a rebuild, they roll the dice on a couple of players who most other teams I think had given up on, they roll the dice to get back into, into contention quickly and they came up empty. So what does that look like? Missed the playoffs, do not get a lottery pick for missing the playoffs, and they just needed a culture reset. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not usually a, a person who looks at a team and, and tries to draw conclusions on what's going on behind the scenes based on what's happening on the floor, but I think it's pretty obvious to pretty much anyone who is watching. The Sparks' chemistry was horrible. Um, as you said, they didn't really have much of an identity on either end of the court, and they consistently failed to reach you know, their level of talent. They they consistently fail to play to their level of talent. And when something like that happens throughout the course of a season and you've got players who are, you know, taking to social media to express their disdain, um, coaches getting fired, players leaving halfway throughout the season, it was very obvious that the Sparks just needed a total reset heading into 2023.
1: Yeah, and largely that that's what we'll see. Uh Not a lot of returning options from last year's rotation, but a couple... Players will be returning one of them, Neka Ogwumike, who prior to last season, Eric, I think, you know, there was a little bit of a feeling at least that was kind of trending in the wrong direction. Is yeah. that unfair to say?
0: No, not unfair at all. You know, her rebounding numbers have kind of dipped. Her I think usage blown- had
1: dipped big time. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, maybe, you know, that might have been on coaching as well, but I don't think it should take a rocket scientist head coach to decide, hey, we need to get Neka the basketball. She's super duper efficient.
1: Yeah, but we saw a big time bounce back last year. You know, her best season in in a few years. I think pretty easily, at least since twenty nineteen, maybe even dating back to twenty seventeen. Eighteen points a game, over sixty percent true shooting, uh, six and a half rebounds, two stocks, first team All W, uh, for the first time since two thousand nineteen. As I mentioned, getting the usage back up to twenty-four percent, which I think was a huge deal. Like it, it really did kind of feel like whether it was herself or, or coaching, you know, just was not really asserting herself the last few seasons in a way that we were accustomed to from Neko Gumike. She was outstanding. And in, in basically every aspect of offensive basketball that you can kind of expect from Neko Gumike you know, she's not one to kind of dominate the basketball in the ways that some other low post bigs are, but um, she she just does it in, in a variety of ways, right? She was over a point per possession on pick and roll rows over a point per possession on pick and roll pops over a point per possession on post-ups on pretty high volume, you know, not like elite volume as a post-up player, Eric. She's not, you know, like I said, kind of, uh, methodical down there on the block, you know, hold, holding the ball for a couple seconds as she sort of makes her drop step and stuff like that. But like you said, just super efficient with her with her movement, and you know, she basically it feels like never has the ball down there for like a full two second count. On like I think a lot of what you would like think of as a, a post up player, right? Where
0: that's a good point.
1: You're catching the ball, you're kind of surveying the defense. Like she doesn't really do it that way. It it, it kind of looks completely different, but still extremely efficient like great finishing with both hands she was sixth in the league in total number of cuts as scoring possessions which you know that's what you've come to kind of expect from Neko Gumike just you know she can kind of do it when you draw it up for her in the pick and roll and in the post up but also she's just going to find those opportunities to affect the game even when you're not necessarily like okay we're going to run this one for Neko and she's going to go get us a basket.
0: Truly a skilled a special offensive player um you know, we are not very big fans of, of post-ups on this podcast, which we've explained several times over. But Oguma Ke, I think, is one of those few players who... Actually, I want to see post-up more because she's just so good at it. You know, she's got... You mentioned um, she's 10th in the league. She was 10th in the league in total possessions uh, used on post-ups. But she had a higher points for possession on uh, than any of the players ahead of her except for Bianca Jones. Like, she's just so efficient. She's got incredible footwork. I love watching her go to work because she's got so many moves... And she's so strong. You know, it's, it's, it's a great combination of, of finesse and power that just not many other players in this league have for her. And like you said, you know, she's that's not the only way she does her damage either. She does it with or without the basketball. And you don't need to run your offense through her in order for her to get hers. Which, you know, I mean, that's that's what you want from your star player. The, the, the only thing is, that she's
1: so good at is just like those... Early quick duck ins where she can just get yeah. herself great position. Like she's probably one of the best players in the league at just getting herself good position under the rim. So she doesn't have to, you know, that's why she doesn't have to take t- two, three, four dribbles from a post up because she's already got the position there.
0: Yeah, she does her work early. And I think with that, you know, that it that gives the Sparks a luxury in that they can, they don't need to play at a slow pace for their efficient post up player. And I don't think many other teams could really say that. Because, you know, one of the reasons why, why post-ups are maybe kind of going the way of the dinosaur is it's really hard to play with a, play at a fast pace when you are posting up a lot of the time. But Ogumuke, like you said, she does her work early. She's really, really good at getting those seals at or underneath the basket. And, of course, her strength and her agility with the basketball is pretty much unmatched, in my opinion. If you look at Ogumuke from her, her MVP season back in 2016, I think since then she's done a pretty good job of just expanding her game from where it was back then so that she's still going to be a great player as she ages you know the rebounding numbers probably not going to reach those levels again the overall offensive efficiency probably not going to reach that level again which is not to say anything bad about NECA herself it's just that that one season was so historic for her but you know that, that jump shot is looking good it's, it's gotten better and better each season I think she's got a pretty versatile face up game because she still has she still has the speed and athleticism to go by her defender but she requires you, you need to guard her from outside as well you know, she can score from almost anywhere on the court. She's just a great offensive player. I mean, there's nothing there's nothing to say that we haven't said hundreds of times over already about Naga. Uh,
1: yeah, just wanted to kind of um, mention a little bit more on, on the shooting. Like, she's really just turned herself into a great jump shooter. You still maybe, I don't know, it's hard to say that you want the volume to come up because she's just so efficient inside. Nah, she's too efficient at the rim, yeah. Yeah, but when you think of kind of every everything else that this team has, like, they could really use her stationed outside of the the line and and kind of creating some of that gravity. You know, 52% effective field goal on on spot-up jumpers, which is, you know, it's not some elite top-of-the-league number, but great for a player who is, you know, kind of thought of as as not an elite shooter, a player who you, you know, when you're thinking about the Sparks roster, you're thinking, well, they don't have great spacing because they play with Neko Gumake and another traditional big. I I just think that her jump shot, as, as much as like the rest of the Sparks, it kind of fell off a cliff at the end of the last season. You know, she's, she's turned herself into quite a reliable shooter out there. And, you know, really one of the only players that are, are going to be on this upcoming roster in, in 2023 that can really score efficiently from all three levels.
0: Yeah. Who is still in this roster from last season? Because there is a significant overhaul. You know, they hired Kurt Miller to be their new head coach. I mean, they are bringing Jordan Canada back, but we're not sure if she's going to make the roster yet. So, which of, you want to go over their arrivals and departures because it feels like there's really nothing else to talk about from last
1: season. Yeah, I would agree with you, uh, and you know I think everything else that we can touch on will sort of tie into the, the outlook of the, yeah. of the coming season. So they will be losing Brittany Sykes, Christy Tolliver, Olivia Nelson-Adoda, and Jasmine Walker in terms of uh, players moving on to other teams. Um, Katie Lou Samuelson. Uh, is also pregnant and due in August, which, you know, that's pretty close to the end of the season. We'll see if she's able to make it back. Congratulations, by the way. Yeah, congratulations to her. D'Erika Hamby is due in March, so we imagine that, you know, don't want to speculate too much, but uh, if if other players' timelines are any sort of precedent, she'll probably be back at some point in the season. Who's Katie? in particular? They'll be bringing in their, their big free agent signing, I think, Azra Stevens from the Sky, Eric, uh, your Chicago Sky, as uh, a near-max yeah, yeah. player. They also traded for Jasmine Thomas. They traded for DeErica Hamby. Um, they signed Stephanie Talbot, who unfortunately will miss the entirety of the season due to an injury she suffered. Uh, playing in Australia, which is you know, a bummer. We thought that was a pretty exciting signing for them. Uh, and they also signed Lazia Clarendon to a training camp contract. So I think what we thought this team would look like maybe six weeks ago is a little bit different than what, what they might look like now.
0: Yeah, man, this is the team I was really excited to watch this season. And I was really excited to talk about, but it just seems like their depth, particularly on the perimeter, has just been gutted before they even got a chance to to play. Where should we start with these new acquisitions? I think we should start with Stevens.
1: Yeah, Stevens is definitely the the prize free agency acquisition in yeah. terms of uh, a lot of suitors. I think she basically had at least half the team vying for her services. Uh, she had a very good tenure in Chicago. I think she was exactly what they needed her to be when they traded her for her now teammate, Katie Lou Samuelson, uh, all those seasons ago. I think there's some expectation from fans that she can maybe expand her role and kind of grow into a higher usage offensive player. Last year, you know, after the championship season, I, I think was probably a little bit of a tough situation for her. She was pretty clearly their second best big in 2021 when they won the title was on a little bit of a maintenance plan that regular season that really paid off uh, by James Wade and, and by Azar Stevens sort of keeping her regular season minutes, you know, below 25 minutes per game, basically every single game. And then in the biggest moments, they, they really leaned on her. Like she was playing up from 21 minutes a game in the regular season to over 25 minutes a game in the playoffs where she was, you know, basically on the court for, for all their biggest moments um, against Connecticut and against Phoenix in that finals run uh, and then, of course, uh, last off season they were able to bring in Emma Mieseman. I think in the regular season, Eric, I'm sure you'll agree that they, they found a really great balance of just getting all these players, the minutes and the touches and the opportunity that they needed. But as the playoffs went on, Stevens kind of was the one that saw her minutes decrease at the expense of, of course, Candace Parker and, and Emma Mieseman, two terrific basketball players. Like, it's hard to kind yeah. of argue with, you know, the direction that they went, but you know, someone's, someone's got to play fewer minutes. I think the, the numbers kind of bear out the decision that, that James Wade made in terms of decreasing Steven's minutes. She did not have a great series against Connecticut. She only played 16 minutes a game in that series. After being great in the Connecticut series, the, the previous season, you know, I think she just struggled a little bit more and there's a lot of reasons for that. But as a, as a Sky fan, Eric, someone that You know, watched a lot of azure Stevens games over the last three seasons. Like, what what type of player are the Sparks getting?
0: Well, she was pretty much as advertised, and and you're right. She was exactly what this guy needed at the time of acquisition. You know, she's she's a she was a very hyped player coming out of college from UConn, drafted number six overall. In my opinion, she should have been drafted much much higher. But I digress. You know, she's she's a toolsy rangy forward who can do a little bit of everything. You know, she one of those many players who gets the unicorn, uh, moniker, which, you know, that doesn't really make any sense to me, but again, I digress. Uh, she doesn't really excel at any one thing. I don't think, but she's undoubtedly a positive contributor, right? You know, she can step out and hit the three pointer. Her three point shot kind of waxes and wanes, but you know, she's not what I'd call a stretch big because I hate that term, but she at least needs to be guarded out there. She's kind of, we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, I'd call her more of like a finesse big and then a power big, you know, she's, obviously really really long and she's got those long strides that long wingspan she's a legit six foot six you know some teams like to fudge their their height spot players um but she's she's definitely she was the tallest player on this guy she moves well downhill for her size not really sure about laterally but downhill she's really good going to the hoop she's gonna get a handful of n ones you know just because of her you know it's hard not to touch her when she's going to the hoop because she's so long but she seems to prefer those soft touch finishes and just Really overwhelming defenders with her size.
1: She, she's not gonna like put you in the goal with the drop step. No,
0: no, no. She enjoys fading away and kind of creating, creating space with that high release point on her jump shot, um, rather than overpowering her defender physically. Defensively, I'd say she's a playmaker, but not a stopper. If that makes sense, you know, she's going to make plays just because of how well she moves for her size, but not a, you know, she's like she's gonna block shots. She's gonna get some steals, but not a player who I would, you know, put on the other team's big to just say, okay, shut him down. As a third big, I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone better than Stevens. As a second big, I have my doubts. I, you know, the, we've seen Stevens for several seasons now, and she's had injuries kind of get in her way. I think she just does, doesn't really have that that burst off the dribble that she had when she was first coming in the league, which is a bummer, of course. She has kind of made, remade herself into a very serviceable player, and I think that contract from LA is well deserved. But you know, she's going to be in a role in LA, presumably, presumably. That we just haven't seen from her yet in her WNBA career. So I'm wondering how she's going to handle that.
1: Yeah, you mentioned the shooting. I think it's a little bit more of a, I don't know an, an unfulfilled promise than really something that we've we've seen consistently at a high level. She's she was 34 percent on you know over 230 attempts in her three season in Chicago. 34, you know that that's fine. It's not great, but even that was largely buoyed by. shooting in the bubble, which was, as we know, a kind of notoriously offense-friendly environment. That was the only season in Chicago uh, where she was above 35%. You did mention that she doesn't really, you know, she she doesn't play with a ton of physicality offensively. Like, she does not really get to the line all that much, which is fine. You know, not every player needs to kind of, you know, get six to eight free throws per game. Uh, You know, she's a fine finisher around the basket. I, I think what she does do really well um and you know maybe some of this was just that Chicago ecosystem but i think you know it's it's a skill that definitely steven's deserves to have mentioned is her ability to move without the basketball she's definitely i think a great and and timely cutter maybe that was you know one of the things that uh, attracted this the sparks to steven's cuz you know basically all their bigs now can really move well without the basketball and steven's was uh, you know, definitely within that category, 1.2 points per possessions on all, uh, on over 50 possessions as a cutter. And, you know, you just watch the film. She's always kind of finding those little seams in the defense and her ability to make the cut and kind of catch and finish without having to put the ball on the floor, I think is something that helps, you know, her finishing inside. And not that she'd probably have her, her shot blocked a ton because she does have great length. But, you know, that's just kind of what you expect from from a very good scoring big like like Steven's I think is in some ways, you know, the the thing that you might criticize about her game and, and kind of how her physicality plays into it is that she's, she's not a good rebounder. I don't think a good team rebounder, like her, her teams are not necessarily good rebounding when she's out there. The sky last year, they had a 68.9% defensive rebound rate when she was on the court and just about a 75% defensive rebound rate when she was off the court against Connecticut. That was even more stark. They just absolutely got killed on the offensive glass on Connecticut's offensive glass. I should say when Stevens was out there, they only rebounded, you know, about 63% of Connecticut's misses with her out there and 75% of misses when she was on the bench. So Connecticut was really able to kind of take advantage of of that element of her game and crash the offensive glass last year. And, uh, you know, I think that was a, a big reason why they leaned a little bit more on on and, and Parker and less on Stevens during that series
0: I wanted to mention her offensive rebounding because that's one thing that has really declined since she first got to Chicago she was only at a 3.5 percent offensive rebounding rate last year I just like what happened there I don't know I, I think she she used to be like I, I wonder okay if that's rebounding. coaching
1: that that I could see maybe being a little bit more just okay sure so you don't want
0: okay so prioritizing you know getting back on defense rather than
1: crashing the last I could see that sure I mean, we'll see if, you know, we know uh, Kurt Miller certainly is going to prioritize offensive rebounding. He definitely does. If his uh, time in Connecticut was any indication, but yeah, I I think I, my, our, our reservations I think are the same in terms of Stevens shifting into more of kind of a go-to offensive player. Like I think she's a good finisher in, in the ways that she can finish around the rim really well. I don't really know if she's a player that you're going to run a ton of pick and rolls for. A player that you're going to post up a lot you know the the spot up shooting it's something that I think if she's left wide open you'll you'll pass it out to her right but you're not going to drop a play to get Stevens an open three or anything like that right. so I don't know I, I just when you know there there's been a lot of conversation ab- about Stevens and maybe I just you know let online discourse kind of seep too much into how I let you know lead the this conversation but when when people kind of talk about Steven sort of expanding her offensive game like I, I just don't really see what avenues there are for her to become a higher usage player you know she's already basically you know like a 55% true shooting player in a situation where you know she was surrounded by great offensive talent great offensive passing like what does that really look like for her in less friendly of an environment with even more of an offensive workload on her shoulders. I'm not too sure.
0: That's a great point. And that's actually something I wanted to bring up next was, I mean, you're playing alongside maybe the two best passing bigs in the WNBA, or at least one of them, because she is a big, obviously, but, and then one of the best passing point guards in the WNBA in VanderSloot. And you go to an ecosystem that is full of play finishers, but really not a lot of playmaking at all, which we're going to talk about. So, Where do those shots come from? You mentioned she's great moving without the ball. I agree. But who's getting her the basketball?
1: And even for, you know, all of Neku gifts, you know, deserved all-league player last year, she's not, like, diming up her teammates or anything like that. Like, she's great at finding the seams and and kind of finishing around the rim. She's not going to—Stevens isn't going to necessarily be getting a ton of open looks because she's, you know, finding— uh, ways for Neko Gumake to get hurt the ball or anything like that, I don't think.
0: Steven, I'm wondering if Ezra Stevens isn't playing the three for this team in 2023. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> well, I mean, think about it. Um, They have no depth out there at all. Who, who even is their starting small forward? Carly Samuelson?
1: Ray Burrell? It's yeah, nice. that, that's like, a great question. I mean, they have um, they have a lot of guards. You know, they, they have some optionality at point guard. They have a couple shooting guards. They they don't have a small forward on roster really.
0: This is something that the Dallas Wings experimented with during Stevens' rookie season. I'm not sure if she can hang with perimeter scorers out there, or at least small forwards out there. But they may not have any other choice because when Hamby comes back, um, if if she does play this season, like they're gonna have they're gonna have a good a good front court rotation. Like their their big rotation is gonna be pretty much set but they really don't have anything at the three right now. And, you know, look at who's coaching this team. We saw Kurt Miller go with very big lineups during his last few seasons in Connecticut. And this just seems tailor-made for him to continue to do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, by the time Hamby is kind of, you know, back in the rotation and back to herself on the court, I I could see them, I guess, starting three bigs. I think I would kind of consider – I would trust Hamby more guarding – threes than Stevens and I think she just has a little bit more perimeter mobility you know she's as wild as it is to say like played a lot of three in her career Eric D'Erika handy. well sure but you know, even on these if videos.
0: okay so okay so say Hamby's playing the three but then Stevens is playing the four they're still they're still starting three bigs
1: yeah three traditional bigs I mean really you know three mean? power forwards it's not even like they have yeah, a real exactly. center on the roster either so you're kind of Starting three bigs, and I don't even really know if you're going to have any sort of advantage on the glass, because I I think those three, you know, they're not dominating rebounding players. So, I don't know. Where where should we go from here? Because there's a lot of questions about this team, and I think even before the the Talbot injury and the Katie Lou Samuelson pregnancy announcement, like, I think we were sort of uh, conflating, like, they definitely had a good offseason, but but were they ever really going to be that good of a, a team? I guess, like all the moves that they made individually, like they made like three or four really good moves, but I still didn't really, you know, I still kind of looking back on it, like what was really going to even be the path for them to be a a very good offense and and a very good defense, you know, I'm not sure.
0: Well, they're clearly going to be competing for that title of best of the rest. You know, I don't think they're going to be able to hang with uh, the Las Vegas Aces or the New York Liberties of the world. Um, One thing we need to mention is they released Kennedy Carter. They weren't even able to find a trade for Kennedy Carter. Like they just straight up released her. And when you look at what she's good at, obviously dribble penetration, creating shots. There's nobody else on this team from the perimeter who can really do that. I mean, they traded for Jasmine Thomas, so uh, Kurt Miller has his has his point guard back. They signed Lacia Clarendon and Jordan Canada. They've got Lexi Brown and Carly Samuelson at shooting guard slash small forward slash whatever you want to call it. But man, there's just. There's no shot creation there. There's no dribble penetration there. Who is setting up these bigs?
1: You know what this team does have a ton of is um, players that have played for Kurt Miller before.
0: <laughs> well, then they're con- going to continue to be good at that because they once again play for Kurt Miller. But... Yeah,
1: they. I think you know almost half their roster basically has played for for Kurt Miller at some point. And uh... and you know
0: he's a he's a great regular season coach. I, I know you have plenty of qualms about him uh, from his the end of his tenure in Connecticut, but one thing he can do is coach the heck out of a team during a regular season
1: no I mean the formula that he had with that Sun team was is undeniable for regular season success for sure
0: but you look at how that team was built compared to how this team was built yeah are they going to have to start three bigs maybe probably but the advantages aren't going to be the same as with Connecticut because you're not going to have Alyssa Thomas dragging the team to victories on her zero shoulders you're not going to have elite offensive rebounding with John Cole Jones and Brianna Jones your defense probably isn't going to be as good. So, good question. What's the path to contention here?
1: Well, I wanted to ask you, like, assuming Hamby at least like isn't available to to start the season, what would you like? What is your starting lineup for this team? We we know obviously the two bigs in Neca and Ezra Stevens. Like, who else is starting for this team? Because they have plenty of options, like, at least in terms of point guards and shooting guards. Again, not really any small forwards, but and not really any twos that are are big enough to be small forwards so like i don't know like opening night like what is the the starting five for this team
0: well i think they need to draft a wing in the draft um they've got the number 10 overall pick and you know we previously talked about on these team outlooks how we generally like teams taking upside swings but man looking at how this team is built or how it was supposed to be built and what its trajectory looks like i think they have to go with like a a quote-unquote safe pick here Just for someone who's going to eat minutes at the position and replicate what their absent players would have been asked to do, which is hit a spot-up jump shot, Ashley Jones from Iowa State is the first player who comes to mind here. Uh, I think we've been kind of critical of her on this podcast regarding you know her status as a prospect. But if if there's one thing she can do, it's shoot the ball on decent versatility. Along those same lines, Leah Brown from Michigan, not as good of a shooter or not as versatile of a shooter as Jones, but her overall offensive game is is one that I think would fit well in this team because she can hit the, the three and she can create a little bit off the dribble. She was kind of shoehorned into this weird role her her last season at Michigan where she was playing point guard. Um, she's a good passer for her position, so that'll maybe take some of the creation burden off their off their actual guards. You've also got options like Lou lopez Seneschal, and Abby Myers, although I think they're kind of fringe first-round talents. And
1: probably um, more twos than threes at the next level. Yeah,
0: exactly. So what kind of what kind of potholes are they going to fill on this team? But um, I think at that point in the draft, you're going to see, like, like, what else are they going to do there? I don't think this team is going to make a stash. You know, I don't think they're going to draft a guard. They really don't need to draft a big, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, I could see them drafting for need, for sure. But, I mean, basically what you're proposing is, you know, with all the players that are kind of returning to school and using their... Their COVID year to uh, get a fifth season of eligibility. You know, you're talking about kind of drafting a player who uh, six weeks ago might have been the 14th or 16th best player uh, on a lot of people's boards, as yeah. you know, sh- you know, penciling them in as your starting small forward, basically. Which, um, you know, not not sure how much high-level play you're gonna get there, but I mean, they do have Ray Burrell, who of course uh, missed most of the season last year with an injury has not been particularly effective in her comeback in the WNBL, under 47% true shooting on a, a very bad team, you know, alongside incoming Storm rookie guard Jade Melbourne. So, you know, not not a, a hopeless team, a little bit of, you know, high-level talent on that team. But she really, in in my eye uh, overseas, like really kind of lacked any sort of burst. You know, we always kind of, I think, had her more in sort of like a, a play finisher mold than a, a playmaker mold, you know, a self-creator mold. I, I didn't really think that she had that that path in her at this level. But, I mean, she she does not really look to have it athletically anymore. She has no burst. She really had a hard time getting to the rim overseas and, and getting by defenders in Australia. So,
0: I she's had, several, she's had several leg injuries in the past few seasons, and that's just, as we've also mentioned on this podcast several times, that's just hard to overcome. Because when you're playing year-round, you can't really – I mean, I guess you can get back into game shape, but and for someone who, as you said, never really had that burst anyway, it's not looking good.
1: So to kind of circle back to the the starting lineup question, I mean, maybe if you start some combination of Jasmine Thomas, Lazia Clarendon, Lexi Brown, like none of those players are threes, but you also don't you're not super small. like I don't I don't know, man there's there's really just well, Brown's gonna of... be starting. Brown is definitely going to be
0: because she's the only player on this team right now who can reliably hit a spot up three.
1: Um, yeah. I maybe Jordan Canada, Jasmine Thomas, and Lexi Brown is like your starting three, and that kind of gives you two okay shooters in Thomas and Brown, surrounded by Canada, who can do a little bit more of the dribble penetration. Like Canada, I think, is the one team you uh, the one player on this team you can count on, and maybe Clarendon can provide that but with all the injuries i think it's just a big enough question and, and not being able to play last year and canada is the one player on this roster who you can rely on to like get to the rim like nobody else from the guard spot can actually get to the if, rim so if they
0: do that i mean i could see them doing that too because then they could actually lean into an, an identity which would be pace and just ball hawking the heck out of opponents the shot creation like that's obviously gonna be an issue but you could at least try to create offense through your defense you know
1: yeah, I mean the shot creation is going to be an issue no matter what. And honestly, Regardless. like as much as I have never really been a big believer in Jordan Canada, like I think she might be the best option on this team in terms of players who can, you know, give you some modicum of of high leverage passing, high creativity passing and can, you know, just beat their defender off the dribble, like be quick enough to actually shift a defensive rotation. Like I don't really think they have too much else In that way, and then you can, like you said, Thomas. I think can guard twos okay. You know, Lexi Brown is probably better guarding ones and twos than threes. But you know, between the three of them, you know, you can maybe be a little bit creative in kind of how you how you do your matchups. I guess.
0: Yeah, they're definitely gonna need some creativity there. I'm I'm not sure where else they can really go with it. You know, and how many minutes is Carly Samuels going to play? Because she, if you ask me, she's the the most. She's the purest small forward on this roster, um, and she can definitely hit a spot of three as well. But, I mean, the defense and athleticism, that's definitely going to be an issue there as well. I mean, she's,
1: so, like, relatively small for a small forward, though, isn't yeah, she?
0: Yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, she's not as tall as, as, as Katie Lou, I don't think. Um, yeah, <laughs> we'll see what they're going to do on the perimeter. But, I mean, they've got options, but none of those options really, like, they don't really complement each other that well. You know, how Yeah, many, exactly. They, they have a lot many, of
1: optionality and not a lot of versatility. How many positions can
0: Lexi Brown reliably play? How many positions can Jordan Canada reliably play? Clarendon can maybe play the one or the two, although I think their strengths are best suited at the one. Jasmine Thomas is like their most versatile guard. And even I then, agree with that. And even then, you're talking about strictly like spot-up shooter offensively so and even
1: then you're talking about a player who is less than one year removed from an acl tear, yeah so.
0: yeah so is she gonna have that same kind of versatility on defense as well because she's getting up there on age as well so yeah um a lot yeah. of and a lot, lot of attention.
1: times the the last thing to come around with your you know after an acl tear is that lift that you get on your jump shot you know how how is her shooting going to be so mm-hmm. um and it's not like you know she's had basically one above average season as a shooter anyway. A lot of that, as we've said many times, has been brought down by dribble shooting. You know, she's turned herself into a nice, reliable catch-and-shoot player, but...
0: And she's not going to be playing for a new head coach either, so you're going to say, yeah, coaching will take care of that.
1: So, I mean, I hope, to to go back to your question, I hope Carly Samuelson makes the team and plays a decent amount because they just desperately... Like, they have enough defensive talent everywhere else to, I think, get by with Carly Samuelson, maybe... Playing more minutes than she would in, in a normal situation because she, they just need her shooting. Like Lexi Brown and, and Carly Samuelson, if they ever play together, which, you know, I doubt because we know who Kurt Miller is and we've seen him coach for the last, you know, almost decade, but if they ever play together, that's basically going to be the only time this team has two plus shooters on the floor at the same time.
0: Okay, so I guess I, I know your answer to this question already, but. Are they going to be better on offense or defense this season? Because they were bad on both ends last year. They 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 were bad on both ends. What's the path to them being a good offensive team? What's the path to them being a good defensive team? I think unfortunately their path to being a good offensive team that's already shot. But defense, I could see it.
1: Defense, I could see it. I I don't even know that that is a sure thing though. I think there are reasons to be optimistic about their defense. Like they have a good defensive big rotation. Like Hamby, Neca, and Azar Stevens are all. Good defensive players to to one extent or another all those players I think are also good uh good defensive playmakers you know they can at least like you said if they kind of lean into some sort of identity to just turn opponents over and, and kind of create a ton of havoc you know maybe they can do that pretty well with with their length and athleticism you know they I think they probably have pretty decent athleticism in terms of kind of comparing themselves league-wide I agree you know, Jasmine Thomas and, and Lexi Brown and Jordan Canada, those are all maybe Thomas isn't this player anymore, but but we hope she is. At some point, all very, very good on ball defensive players, very good, you know, defensive guards. I think the reasons to be concerned about their defense, you know, Thomas is recovering from an injury, Clarendon is recovering recovering from an injury. They don't have a small forward on roster, as we said, aside from Ray Burrell. I think at least they can maybe take some solace in small forward is maybe like the least potent offensive position league wide. Like there's probably the least number of stars who you just have to worry about completely taking over a game and exploiting your lack of positional depth there. You would be harder pressed if you just didn't have anyone to guard a star power forward or star point guard or something like that, you know. And if you don't have someone to guard a two, you know, you're at least have, you know, most point guards can, can guard a fair number of twos, okay. Where small forward, I don't know. It's a little bit different, I think. But but even still, like because I'm so worried about their offense, and because you know, I think when all else fails, like we can just maybe assume that Kurt Miller will lean into whatever identity he has, even if it's not the prettiest or maybe mo- makes the most sense. You know, that kind of makes me think they'll they'll probably lean more defense at at times especially with, you know, the offensive limitations of, of their guards and the lack of shooting and everything else. So I don't know. I, I'm really, really down on how this team is going to get it done offensively, and I can picture a way that they are okay defensively. So I guess there's your answer. That's
0: that's better than nothing. Um, we should probably use that as a segue to going to strengths and weaknesses, right?
1: What do you have for strengths? What are, what are their strengths going to be?
0: I mean, you kind of said it more eloquently than I would have been able to, but backcourt defense. I am tempted to bet on Jasmine Thomas to bounce back quickly to her former defensive self. Um, I really hope she's not just like cooked athletically because she's one of our favorite players to watch go to work on defense. But if it's her and Lexi Brown and or Jordan Canada, I feel pretty good about their point of attack defense in the, in the backcourt. In fact, I'm not sure how many other teams really have that besides Washington. Like that, That's a really good trio of defensive guards, even if like their overall versatility is pretty limited you're going to have 40 minutes of, of really good point of attack defense with those three players. Thomas is obviously going to have that question mark coming off the ACL tear. But even if she's not all the way there, they've got someone to lean back on. Whether it's Canada, whether it's Brown, um, they're going to be able to get after it on the basketball. Off-ball defense, you know, maybe a little bit more of an issue. And just like overall size defending the perimeter. But as you mentioned, I think a point of attack defense is probably more important there. Would you agree?
1: I would, yeah. I you know, they, they have so many good defensive players on the perimeter, but it feels like they're all just good at the same thing. You know what I mean? Like I,
0: it's not like Washington where there's a ton of switchability
1: or like they don't have like a Breon January. Who's just going to like bust around screens and follow an Ellie yeah, yeah. Quigley around or something like that. They don't have that kind of lock and trail defender either. You know, maybe that can be Lexi Brown a little bit. I think she's probably their best option. Um, but even her, I feel like it, she's more of a good on-ball defensive player wouldn't you agree
0: yeah you know I think she's she does excel at generating steals and part of that is jumping passing lanes but that might be something to watch for her for coaching like what is her role on defense going to be
1: well at least she has a coach that she's famously always gotten along yeah with. you know
0: she she and Critmiller Miller famously get along great so <laughs> no no reasons to worry there um that's a legit point though
1: while we're you know we're I'm kind of derailing strengths and weaknesses a little bit but if, if you could just rank these four players in t- terms of how many minutes they'll play, how would you rank Leisure Clarendon, Jordan Canada, Lexi Brown, and Carly Samuelson? Who will play the most? Who will play the least? You know, one, two, three, four.
0: Well, are they all going to make the team?
1: I think, just, sure. I think just start, they will make the team because they'll have their uh, maternity exceptions, so that they don't really have to cut anybody.
0: Okay, I think it goes Brown, Canada, Samuelson, Clarendon. You know, I think
1: I agree. Although, I, th- okay. I I think I probably actually have Clarendon and then Samuelson. I, I just think that... Well, Curt- the thing is, Clarendon, if, if,
0: if they both make the team, Clarendon and Canada are probably going to be eating into each other's minutes. Mm-hmm. Whereas Samuelson would pretty much have that starting small forward position on lockdown. Or I shouldn't say starting, but there, there, aren't, there isn't as much competition there.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I, I just feel like... For now. Yeah, Kurt is maybe loath to play a shooting specialist Um, that doesn't give you anything defensively, you know, as... As much as, you know, a Shaquina Strickland was not a great defensive player, like she at least was a a valuable team defensive player and and could kind of, you know, make some plays on on that end. Um, Some other strengths, like I said, I think they have a really good combination of uh, defensive playmaking bigs as well. You know, your, your point about their backcourt defense, I think, is a good one. And, you know, basically almost everybody on this team can make plays defensively. And if this team... You know, if their defense was one of the leaders in a opposing turnover percentage, I would not be surprised at all. The three bigs that they have are just great moving without the basketball. Like you don't need to run a ton of plays for them to score and be effective on offense, which, you know, you think that this team doesn't have a ton of like playmaking and, and collective passing, but when you're able to move so well without the ball, you don't need like high leverage passing. You, you just need competent passing. And I think a good coach can you know, kind of make up for some of that a little bit. So I think that,
0: can I I add, can I add coaching to strengths or are you you going to get mad at me?
1: No, no, no. I I think I, I man, they had Derek Fisher and uh, Fred Williams (laughs) last year. Like they upgraded for sure.
0: Because Kurt Miller, you know, for all of his uh, maybe stubbornness as a head coach, if you give me an option of all the coaches in the league and you say, okay, you get one coach to drag a team with a major identity crisis to the playoffs there aren't many coaches I'm taking ahead of Curt Miller.
1: Yeah, sure. Get me four games over 500. You know. Yeah, like, exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, some I, games. I think That's fair. Honestly, I'm I'm having trouble coming up with too many other strengths. Those are. Yeah,
0: we need to move on to weaknesses, and uh, there are there are plentiful, if if not plentiful, they're they're very very stark.
1: Yeah, rebounding I think is going to be a bit of a weakness for them unless they do just play three bigs all the time. Um, you know, I mentioned the guys on off numbers with Ezra Stevens. Like I I don't think she's an elite rebounding big Hamby's teams have traditionally been better rebounding with her off the court than on the court. You know, Neca is a hard nose rebounder. Like she's got a nose for the basketball, but she's a bit undersized. I don't really think any of their, again, they don't have a small forward. That's usually pretty helpful in rebounding, (laughs) having some size at your other front court spot. Mm -hmm. Uh, None of their guards, I think are amazing rebounders, although, you know, Canada can fly in for some a little bit, but health, you know, unfortunately, availability for the teams that the players that they were hoping to have, you know, we'll see how much of that, unfortunately, factors in, you know, we, we hope that's not the case. But uh, creation, I think, Eric, is going to be a big one, you know, putting pressure on the rim from the perimeter. Again, I think they have one player that can do that at, at even a, a reasonably high level. And that's Jordan Canada, who at least had a bounce back in that regard last season after a tough final season in Seattle.
0: Is she going to be putting pressure on the rim to the benefit of her teammates, though?
1: I mean, I think so. I I think she's a pretty decent passing point guard. You know, everything else that she takes off the table probably hurts her teammates. But the other thing about this roster on, like, you know, last year's roster with Britney Sykes or her Seattle seasons is, like, there's nobody really else to kind of soak up those creation possessions where you're getting high number of plays with Jordan Canada off the ball. You know what I mean? So maybe this is... I guess in some ways like the most ideal situation for Canada to flourish because she's not surrounded by a lot of other players who are going to need the ball in their hands to, to be creators. The Clarendon fit is particularly clunky, but like you said, I don't think those two will be playing together too often. I think... There's at least a chance that her and Jasmine Thomas are a pretty good combination together. You know, her and Lexi Brown, I think, make good sense together. So, and she can she can get all the way to the rim. It's just kind of everything else, uh, you know, the shooting and the spacing and, and the off ball stuff that has minor details <laughs> that has kind of dragged down her overall effectiveness here. But outside of that, like it's it's looking kind of bleak.
0: Are you more concerned about the lack of playmaking from guard or the lack of depth at wing?
1: A uh, wing, I think, for sure, because the lack of wing hurts on both sides of the ball, I think, unless you're playing like uh, a Carly Samuelson, like which, you know, a Carly Samuelson and Alexi Brown together, which it can really open things up for your offense, there's a good chance that, you know, maybe they play three bigs, or I just think not having a real small forward is going to hurt them equally as much on offense and defense, where not having a ton of playmaking from the guards, like you still have really great still bigs, yeah, and, and they are still good defensive guards, uh, and you can at least sort of cobble together an I- identity with what you have from your guards, I think.
0: Okay, I agree with that. Yeah, I, This kind of factors into what you were saying, but I think, you know, you talk about, okay, they're all really good. They've got some good bigs at moving without the ball, but they don't really have anything to complement that. They've got no shooters to open up the floor. I mean, they have a couple shooters, but they've got... No, uh, no movement shooting. How about that? You know, lack of jump shot versatility.
1: That is that is for sure. They have no one that's really going to, you know, run off a screen and, and kind of can a three. Lexi is, is okay at that, but she's not. Uh, she's more of a real kind of dead bang standstill shooter. That That's yeah. where her strength is. And, and she's great at that. She can be one of the best spot up shooters, just kind of as a stationary catch and shoot player. But she doesn't have that next level of shooting versatility. And honestly, Carly Samuelson doesn't either. Like, she's more of a a standstill, high-level standstill three-point shooter, and all the rest of their players are kind of fringe shooters at best.
0: Jasmine Thomas can, can shoot it, but versatility, no.
1: They'll definitely never have more than two good shooters on the floor at the same time. Like, even if you play Carly and Lexi Brown together major minutes, like, they're never going to have... Uh, four out is completely out of the question. Three out is probably completely out of the question. Honestly,
0: so are we going to go uh, one out, four in, or something like that?
1: <laughs> completely,
0: like, I, I like no it. Let's do maximum it. shrinkage of the floor. Uh, you're right, though. I mean,
1: yeah, I, I guess one of the bigger questions about this team to me is regarding Kurt Miller. Like, as much as Connecticut by the end just like completely leaned into sort of the the meme team style of embracing their, their strengths and weaknesses as much as they could, you know, does Kurt Miller take that with him or how, how much is he kind of adjusting to personnel? Not, not that there's really a ton of varied personnel on this roster, but does he try to mirror that? Or, you know, does this, does his philosophy just look way different than, than we would have imagined based on, you know, if you only knew Kurt Miller from his last couple of years in Connecticut?
0: Well, that's one of the main reasons I'm, I'm kind of disappointed at how they're the last leg of their off season turned up because, as, when they were making these signings, when they're making these acquisitions, it's like okay, Miller is going to have some shooting at his disposable. He's going to have a versatile rotation of bigs at his disposable. Um, is he going to go back to that style of you know spacing and, and pick and roll and and pace and all those coaching cliches from when he was first hired in Connecticut? But now, I mean, they're going to be pretty limited there. So yeah, we'll see about that. I, I still say he's going to be able to drag this team to more success than it is ex- than it experienced last season or the last two seasons, but what the overall ceiling is going to look like, I have my doubts.
1: Do you think they'll make the playoffs? Yes, do you I am guessing that they do not, but I you know I think the the bottom tier of the league is a three team tier. So in L.A. I don't have in that tier. So I I think there's kind of like one unclaimed lottery spot. Um, Sure. So I could see L.A. being in that, you know, that final spot. I guess if I had to bet on it, you know, I would say that they probably are. As a consolation, at least, you know, if if it is a rough season, they'll finally get to keep their lottery pick for the first time in three years and and hopefully kind of build the roster a little bit more organically. um, Well, now that
0: you mentioned that, Stephen next year not a bad year to be in the lottery
1: nope uh not a bad year to try to find some offensive creation uh hopefully no
0: there are some pretty good players coming out pretty good uh
1: we hope but you know from where we were when we kind of wrapped up our free agency shows to to now obviously you know it's disappointing how things have gone but you know they i I don't think they were really ever going to kind of like host a playoff series so it's not like it's a complete calamity but you you wish Things had obviously gone a little bit differently. It, it does seem talent.
0: like their ceiling has kind of been cut before they even got a chance to to prove it, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe not one of the more exciting teams. It's always hard when a team projects to be bad but also doesn't really have, you know, any players under 25 you can really get excited about, which is yeah, the case sure. here.
0: All right, anything else on the Los Angeles Sparks or should we wrap up?
1: Yeah, I guess we can wrap up. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to support the show, you can follow, rate, and review on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at Double Down WNBA. You can follow Eric at Nemchak E or myself at... Tr- Wait, can, you, can they follow Eric at Nemchak E?
0: They cannot currently follow Nemchak E, but they will be able to again in the near future. So okay. Okay, I'll be enough. back.
1: Uh, you can follow myself at Trinkwald and we'll be back next week with another Team Outlook
0: that we don't currently know which team we're doing. So it'll be a fun surprise for everybody. So um, hope to see you there. Take care.